0: If it's Monday, we are talking to Lucas McCann or someone from Can Delta. But today, we happen to have Lucas McCann. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure, Jay. Great to see you. Uh,
0: before we begin, you never disappoint with your shirt.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I'm I'm always looking to impress you. If you don't comment on what I'm wearing, then uh, I failed.
0: Well, I've only been wearing this shirt or one that is just plain black for like seven months. So I'm really not one to talk. Um, uh, I have an interesting question that is... Uh, the word cannabis is in it, but there's other words in it too that that sound interesting. Are you ready for the ask the experts question today? Absolutely. Uh, here we go. Um, there is lots of news around psilocybin. <laughs> That's a good start. Um, will it follow a similar path as cannabis has around medical use leading into recreational use? That's the question.
1: That's a great question. Uh, it's obviously very timely right now for a number of reasons. Uh, we've seen some game-changing health candidate approvals for Section 56 exemptions for use uh, in end-of-life care in, in a few patients now. Uh, so that's very promising. And if you want my personal opinion, which you haven't asked for, but I'm very happy to give it, is that uh, I, I think we're, we're probably a few decades away down the, uh, the medical path that, uh, that cannabis has taken, but I think psilocybin can very much follow a very similar path. Uh, for those that don't know, we're referring to psilocybin. So psilocybin is a uh, controlled substance. It's under Schedule Three of the Controlled Drugs Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Act, sorry, Controlled Drugs and Substances Act (CDSA). Um, and its its production, harvesting, um, propagation, all those activities are, are very strictly uh, controlled, and uh, uh, they're very strictly uh, considered. And um, you wouldn't be allowed to to basically just start an operation here unless you had an authorization under Part J of the food and drug regulations. Um, so psilocybin is interesting because it's uh, effectively a naturally occurring uh, fungus uh, a mushroom. The psilocybin mushrooms have several strains that contain psilocybin. This uh, active component that when uh, ingested um, can uh, uh, can be used for uh, potential leads. I mean we've, we've associated that, uh, that compound with uh, um, with psychedelic trips, um, you know, acid and LSD are a very close cousin um, of the psychedelic family to mushrooms. Uh, but we've recently seen that there is a potential lead there for conditions like uh, anxiety, depression, um, and, and other maybe folks that are, are, are suffering from, for example, problematic drug use or post-traumatic stress syndrome as well. Uh, and also quite a few studies, for example, done at John Hopkins University for end-of-life care in uh, those that are uh, living with uh, ter- terminal cancer or stage four cancer. Um, what we've seen uh, in addition to these exemptions, the section 56 exemptions in the industry uh, is uh, a lot happening, especially in the Caribbean right now. There's a country called uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines um, just, uh, just south of uh, uh, you know Jamaica and a lot of the islands in the Caribbean there. Uh, there is a company that is uh, setting up shop there that has actually the first license to produce, propagate, and harvest psilocybin mushrooms from the government um, for the purposes of uh, medical research, which is very, very exciting. Um, Luckily, uh, we've we've been uh, engaged with this company, and what we're we're effectively doing down there is setting up regulations for the company that I think is gonna create a precedence that's that's gonna create ripples worldwide. Um, It's very, very exciting, and uh, it shows a lot of promise for where this could potentially go, as we've seen with uh, with anything surrounding cannabis, all it takes is for one jurisdiction, one country, one area to set the regs up, sort of set set up uh, a structure for what things to look like. And again, this is very much mimicking what cannabis will look like uh, now and today, from all the lessons learned. That's that's very much what we're going to do. But once we have that structure to build off of, it's like a domino effect, and we'll see so many other jurisdictions license after that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we follow it, uh, our sort of sister publication or or platform, Report on Psychedelics, follows obviously this closely. But there is this, um, there is both a parallel track, which we've seen, and certainly in Canada where Health Canada says yay to four patients using psilocybin for end-of-life care. That sort of parallels patients suing to get access to cannabis as medicine. Like th- there is a parallel track there. There is also this uh, two other tracks that are either parallel or intersecting or not, which is the sort of a strong decriminalization effort in places like Denver and Oakland and Santa Cruz and some other, I would say, left-leaning cities in the U.S. There's things on the ballot in uh, Washington, D.C. and Oregon uh, in November. And then there, that's sort of another path. And a third path, I would say, is like drug discovery. Right, like you know, proper you know phase one trials, phase two, phase three, that that many companies are exploring too. That equals a very complicated conversation, I think. And like, where in your where in your thoughts are we in a timeline relative to cannabis, or is it unrelated in how sort of regulators you think are thinking about it?
1: Great question. Uh, well, I mean, any guess that I give is is at best a guess. You know, the, the We won't. We won't come point back point 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 and ask you about threat. it again. That's for sure. As long as you don't hold me to it, we don't revert back to this video in a, in a decade's time. I think that's fine. I, I think we're probably still a couple decades away of getting close to where we're we are currently um, with uh, with cannabis. Um, right now, it's uh, it, it's sort of a fractured system even within Health Canada as well because to uh, to To be able to possess uh, to possess the substance, you know, you need what's called a dealer's license uh, or a section 56 exemption for researchers. And, and typically, we're talking about physicians, vets, um, you know, folks in uh, in universities that would be conducting this kind of research. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about how this is sort of going to work with cannabis. So, for example, um, controlled uh, controlled drugs and substances would potentially create a framework that would say that, okay, well, if you're a licensed producer for cannabis, maybe in theory, you could use that same facility as long as things were sort of split out. And maybe we'll see a lot of the LPs that are in the space now devote a section of their facility uh, to cannabis. However, the, the part of Health Canada that controls cannabis, the cannabis department may not be happy with the idea that psilocybin could be there. So again, Health Canada is a very large organization. There are a lot of uh, subsections of Health Canada and making sure that all those are operating in harmony will be something that will be very interesting. Uh, over the next couple of decades, but from a medical perspective, I, I mean, from from you know sort of widespread use of psilocybin in in research and clinical trials, uh, I would say we're probably still about a decade off. But I, I, I'm hoping that that's you know that, that maybe that's, uh, that's a bit pessimistic. and Maybe we can see some movement more quickly. Um, definitely, if our neighbors to the south make some big movements, which they could, then that will definitely speed things up from a, from a worldwide. Uh, perspective and of course what's happening right now in st vincent the grenadines could very well do that as well
0: yeah it's interesting it's also interesting to watch what we haven't even talked about is sort of the capital markets and how they've um moved uh with in some cases in a frenzy towards psychedelics right we saw uh, mm. compass go public we saw med uh MindMed go public here uh on the neo exchange we've seen another a group of them go public on the cse and so there is this um Trend, I think, of people thinking like, this is the next gold rush or mush rush, as some have called it. Um, but, but, I, but I do think, uh, and, and I wonder, like, is that not even the right analogy to actually frame the conversation? I guess it's too soon to tell. But I think we'll, we'll see over the next year or two, that it is either the right frame to talk about it or maybe the exact wrong frame to talk about it as these companies go public and do their, try to do their clinical research and, and, and actually um, gain support for the research they're doing? Or is there even sort of a middle ground where um, uh, you know, uh, psychedelic-assisted therapies are actually happening in the States now, whether it's ketamine or otherwise? Like There are actually um, uh, substances that are not psilocybin that are actually maybe further down the road or more, maybe easily are adopted, more easily adopted.
1: It's a great point. I mean, you touched on a couple of things there that uh, you know are very close to cannabis, and cannabis was very much a, a pump and dump for a lot of folks that had very much no interest in in creating quality products or or helping those that uh, required it for for medical care or replacing. Uh, you know, therapy with with opioids, with, with something that was much more benign. Uh, psilocybin, I'm, I'm sure, is going to see a very similar landscape of folks coming into the space, thinking it's the next rush. And behind psilocybin, there's going to be something else. We know that there's a lot of talk surrounding ketamine right now as well. Um, and whether that's going to be something that, that speeds up past uh, psilocybin in, in terms of how it's regulated or, or controlled or how licenses are given, that very well could be the case. So, I mean, that, that's a great point there. Uh, the mush rush. Uh, yeah, that could lead to even something like you know mush tenders in 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 mushroom retail stores. You know later on, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I guess that that's really hard to predict. But yeah, I mean that 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 that's a great great comment. It it, it seems very early on, and to know who the next VIP molecule is, uh, that's going to be very tough to see after this. But uh, it's it's now a very very exciting race. Uh, you know, reading the headlines uh, today is much more exciting than it was probably 10 or 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, and closer to it, and and in that sense, sort of the sky not falling with cannabis maybe has paved the way for other substances as well. So it'll be interesting. That's to watch.
1: that's it. that's exactly it. You know, anarchy hasn't broken out. Everyone's still paying their taxes. Uh, I mean, you know, we can't really hold cannabis uh, responsible for five G or for the uh, the pandemic that we're living in, right? But as, you know, aside from that. Uh, we've seen the industry do very well. It's been somewhat recession-proof. And, uh, you know, we, we see there's a huge legitimization. The illicit market is starting to, to crumble slowly but surely. And, and you know, that, that's a great thing from, from a regulatory consultant's, uh, you know, perspective for sure. Uh, and also consumers in the regulated market. Um, you know, having something in place for for regulated psilocybin uh, is definitely possible. And I, I think it would be something that would be welcome from those that are, are curious about using it, especially if they wanted to potentially treat some of these issues that psilocybin is is currently being studied to, to be able to assist with. Um, and, and again you know we know that this is a pretty benign choice helocybin itself is is not an addicting substance uh, it's not something that uh, you know you can easily overdose on uh, or, or people would tend to, to sort of abuse from that st- from that standpoint as well if it were widely available then uh, you know that would definitely impact the uh, the illicit market's ability to to thrive you know producing something like that so there's a lot of reasons why this, this should be strongly considered as a VIP compound uh, for use in research. And it's things that like are what's happening with the section 56 exemptions here in Canada or what's going on in the Caribbean now in St. Vincent uh, for the government to consider uh, maybe uh, allowing a few more research licenses to happen. And also, you know, from the medical community standpoint, the university standpoint, for them to consider this as a legitimate Avenue of study, a legitimate channel of, of focusing time and energy and, uh, I remember in in grad school there was one student who made a presentation. I believe he was an undergrad. He was doing uh, doing some work in the lab, he made a presentation and presented this to faculty about uh, a novel synthesis of the THC molecule, and he was completely ripped to shreds. He was completely ripped to shreds because it was it was so stigmatized. Everyone there thought that he was completely delegitimizing everything that we were all there to do as chemists. And now, if that presentation you know maybe were to were to come out through university, there might be a, a little bit more support. Maybe not a lot, but probably. A little bit more support than there would have been a decade ago and it's just funny to see how how the perception of all these things are changing at the university level and that's uh that i think is a very very important process
0: well it's always great to talk to you guys about really anything touching health canada and this most certainly does because i think with the background of the folks at can delta there's great insight to the thought process of health canada and and sort of the the process by which something like this could or may happen. And I think that insight, I'm glad you're sharing it with us today, because I think it's really helpful for our audience and others that listen.
1: No, I appreciate that. You know, if I could leave anyone with a take home message, you know, if this is something that folks are considering. Uh, I mean, really to, to surround yourself with folks that are academics and those that are in the space is probably the best way to, you know, to, to think about uh, what getting a dealer's license would look like here in Canada, or maybe a section 56 exemption. Um, this isn't necessarily something that I think is going to be entertained by, by Health Canada and unless there was some sort of purpose and objective to this research uh, you know research can't just be yeah I just want to go up there and grow mushrooms man like there, there's got to be a reason here and and I think that um, for folks that are interested in the space that's fantastic but I, I think folks need to couple with those that uh, that also have some legitimacy in the space and uh, an educational background behind them.
0: Well, we're. Uh, that's yeah. The answer is yes. That's absolutely what people should do. And we look forward to putting this in front of them. Uh, we appreciate the time, as always, Lucas. We'll see you or someone from your team next Monday.
1: Jay, always a pleasure. Janatova.
0: <laughs> Thanks. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye bye.